Good morning, everybody. Welcome to It's a New Day. You're listening to 1180 WFYL, where we are working for your liberty and things that matter. This morning, you can tell by the music, it's time for Biblically Speaking. Tim Liebig in the studio this morning with our friend Ken Souter for Biblically Speaking. How are you, Ken? Good. Very good today. How are you, Tim? Always a pleasure to see your smiling face. What a blessing to be here. Yes. It's a Wednesday without Ken Souter is like a day without sunshine. That's what I say. <laughs> today is a uh, is a very special day. Uh, we do remind you, though, folks, that uh, please go to Facebook and like us on Facebook, 1180WFYL. And also, uh, if you're a little outside the listening area, you can go to 1180WFYL.com, click on Listen Live. And if this show is on a little too early for you, or if you have to get out of the car and get into the office, uh, you can always listen to the podcast later. Just go to 1180wfy.com, click on podcast, scroll down to Biblically Speaking, and there we will be. And you can listen to us and send us all around the globe. How's that? Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. (laughs) Today is a special day. We have a special guest for our entire program. This is a first for us, I think, on Biblically Speaking. Yeah. And uh, we are adorned by uh, the Dr. Joseph Webb. Yes. And uh, Ken, would you uh, share? Dr. Webb, you with us? I am with you, and I'm excited about being on 1180 WFYL. Excellent. Excellent. And I just want to say here how I came across Dr. Webb was through a, a listener of ours. Uh, I met in Lansdale where we were giving King James Bibles away at the public library there. Uh, I won't mention her name, but I think she's probably listening. Uh, but uh, she introduced me to, well, actually, she was uh, divorced uh, by the state and uh, really did not remarry and uh, kind of asked, you know, probed that a little bit and found out that she was uh of the opinion that remarriage is not biblical, and uh, she introduced me to uh, Dr. Webb's book, and I read it uh, cover to cover and uh, found it to be very interesting, and I, I will say personally, I believe every word of it <laughs> is true, and um, very few books. Now, Dr. Webb, uh, there's a lot of books out there on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Why did you write this one? Well, I didn't write it because I wanted to. Somebody said, why would you want to write something that was going to cause so much trouble? Um, I said, well, when I found out the first preacher that God called to preach on this subject got his head cut off, I knew I wasn't going to be having a party. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, the the title of this book is This is Till Death Do Us Part, yes? Right. Uh, Yes, I have two books, Till Death Do Us Part, What the Bible Really Says About Marriage and Divorce, and uh, Divorce and Remarriage, The Trojan Horse Within the Church. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, I'll just hand it over to you and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll ask some questions along the way, but uh, I do understand it's going to be controversial. It's a position that the church has long abandoned pretty much, and I think it's very hard to find. So, uh, but it's a breath of fresh air, I think. Now, Dr. Webb, would you mind sharing just a little bit of your background since this is the first time our listeners are hearing yeah. you? Uh, if you share just a little bit of your background and uh, fill us in on uh, how you came to be. Well, uh, let me just say, first of all, I, with a lot of humor, tell people I was born outside the United States in a place called Nebraska, <laughs> and uh, in a little tiny town. And uh, when I was five years of age, I have to go back to this because of the very subject we're talking about, and that is that God is a God of covenant. Hmm. Uh, uh, a lot of people don't realize the seriousness of the difference between a contract and a covenant. But when I was five years old, my family never went to church. I heard of Jesus Christ as a swear word all my life up till then, mm. and uh, this, 
single lady who lived with her mother came over and asked my father, could I take Joe to Sunday school with me and I'll bring him home. He said, well, I guess it won't hurt him. So I went and uh, after a couple of weeks, he came back to my father and said, well, next Sunday, we found out that Joe can sing. And so uh, we got two other little girls to sing with him, and we want him to sing on the radio program this morning, uh, or Sunday morning at 5.30. He said, I guess it won't hurt him. So I went and sang, and when we came back to the house, he said, uh, we're having a revival meeting tonight, and we want the trio to sing again in our church. Is it okay if I come and pick up Joe and take him there and back? And he said, I guess it won't hurt him. <laughs> and that night in the service, the evangelist, when he got through preaching, this young, this single lady said to the two girls, would you like to go forward and invite Jesus in your heart? And they said, no. She said, would you like to? And I said, yes. Hmm. And I went forward. And, of course, I didn't have any comprehension of what was going on other than I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins and come into my heart. And then when I got finished, this lady was so wise. She said, Joe, would you promise the Lord tonight if he'll keep you, you will serve him the rest of your life? Hmm. I said, yes. I had no idea that by saying that I established a covenant with mm. the Almighty Living God. Mm. And uh, I, I, she said, "I know you don't are not going to be in the neighborhood here because we moved just about every year to and my folks never owned a home until I was twelve. They just rented all the time. And uh, so <laughs> when I uh, when I went away from that neighborhood, I got into a neighborhood a little bit later on when I was about twelve, eleven that uh, if a cat had a tail, it was a tourist going through. They were meaner than junkyard dogs, and I learned every bad thing you could possibly try to do mm. and uh, completely forgot anything that ever happened when I was five years of age. Mm. But when I was almost 17, my sister accepted Christ and went to Northwestern Bible College and came back home and asked the, the whole class to pray for me. And that wasn't fair. But she got me to go to church with her, and the first night, I knocked the preacher completely out of the door because so, I thought he was going to try to stop me. And she got me back the second night. And that night, I said, well, I'll accept Christ, but I can't quit smoking. I was smoking two and a half packs of cigarettes a day plus cigars and pipes. <laughs> and she said, I didn't say anything about smoking. You tell Jesus about that. <laughs> and I asked the Lord into my heart, and I turned around, and I handed her the pack. I said, I won't need these anymore. And God did a work in my heart. And when I came home, my dad said, don't tell me you've gone nuts over religion like your sister. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. Well, wow. Well, bless you. That's Later, tremendous. I to Bible college, and uh, I committed my life to the Lord. And, and he, I, went, I, I thought I'd never go back to school after I got out of high school. But he, I mean, he literally packed my bags and sent me. And my dad said, if you're going to be a begging preacher, don't come back here and expect any help from me because you won't get it. Hmm. And he, he kept his word. But when he said that, I, I went upstairs and I said, Lord, I really need a verse right now because I know I'm supposed to love my father and mother and honor them. And he showed me Psalm 2710 that says, when my father and mother have forsaken me, then will the Lord take me up. Hmm. And that day I said, Lord, I'm going to make you my source. Hmm. I, am, I know your name is Jehovah Jireh. I'm not going to trust the church. I'm not going to trust the denom denomination. I'm going to trust you to be my total source. And I, I want to tell you, I have lived 60-some years of miracle, oh, financial, wow. physical, mental. Uh, I mean, wow, it's been so good to me. And uh, I went to Bible college, and I had to do it by selling my car, which I didn't want to do. I worked two and three jobs while I was there. But my third year in school, I was working in a restaurant as a cook. 
And a guy walked around to the back of the restaurant. He said, son, what happened to you when you were five? Hmm. I said, what are you talking about? He said, when you were five, something changed the whole direction of your life. Hmm. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he went outside and left, and I thought, that guy must be a kook. But while I was standing there, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me of what happened when I was five in that little church. Hmm. I began to sob like a, like a baby, I'm telling you. Uh, I made a covenant with God, and he upheld it. Mm, and wow. uh, that's incredible. And this, you didn't know this person at all. No, he knew you better than you knew yourself mm-hmm. at that point. That's right. Wow. God, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom that Scripture talks about, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't even know what that was. But I later on, as I continued to study, I found that that, that was the the case. Uh, but uh, uh, when I got out of school, I was engaged, and we were going to get married as soon as we got out, but just before we did, I went to a church in Colorado, and I, they wanted to know if we would come and be a minister, music, youth director, and, and assistant pastor. It had 2,300 members, and I said to my fiance at that time, I said, I don't want to come here. I don't want any denomination or district superintendent to place me. I want God to place me, and I said, if God wants us to come here, there's a big debt on this building of $250,000. And there's some of the leaders think that that should be paid off first. So if God wants us to come here, he's going to pay off this whole debt for this church before we agree. Mm-hmm. And I said, secondly, I want a 100% vote yes. And, you know, since I've been in the church for 60-some years, and I know that whatever you, you're for, there's somebody that's going to be again. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Well, that's it for sure. The third thing I said is I want to know, know beyond any of a shadow of a doubt because I have now got some bills I've got to pay off, and we're getting ready to get married. But I don't think we should come here until we're free to serve the Lord without a debt on us. So if God wants us to do it, he'll take care of that. <clears throat> that was on Sunday. <clears throat> Didn't say anything to anybody, but when I, on Thursday, the pastor called us and asked us to come to the office. Mm-hmm. We walked in, he was crying, and I said, what's going on? He said, a lady in our church who had 37 oil wells, called me yesterday and said, you've got to come over to my house. God told me the building has to be paid off, and I want to give you a check for it. Oh, no, really? Wow. And uh, so uh, on Sunday night, they had a vote to see if we'd come, and it was a 100% vote yes. And I said, well, there's still the other thing. And so when the service closed, a pastor stood up, and he said, by the way, I know that Joe didn't come from a Christian home, and I know that his parents have not been supportive of him, and I know he's worked his way through college, and I imagine they've got some bills that need to be taken care of. If God speaks to your heart, would you just put the money in their hands? And when they got done, I walked in the back office and dumped it out all on the table. All my bills were paid, plus the tithe, plus we were able to pay for our marriage and get the car that we needed to come out to the church. Hmm. Wow. That's the kind of miracles I've seen, and in six different times down through the years of my ministry, I've never said a word to anybody. I've just gone in and ministered, and during that time, six times, somebody has come up to me and said, you know, God just told me you've been faithful to him, and I'm supposed to give you something, and they handed me the keys to a new car. Wow. Uh, I I only say that because there's no one as faithful as God, Mm. and when he calls you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and realize mm-hmm. he said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Mm-hmm. They all manner of evil against you, just like they did all the true prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus, was, not, Jesus, was, per, Jesus was perfect, and they hated him, so they're going to certainly hate us. Yes, but um, while I was studying, 
Uh, well, I, first of all, when I left that church, I went into evangelism full time and had citywide, countywide crusades, local churches. And we tried to emphasize the need to go to the little churches to hold revival meetings. And I remember one church, they had 15 members. And then the week we were there, they had 45 people get saved. Mm-hmm. And that just affirmed to us that we were right under the spout where the glory comes out and God was in it. Wow. And later on, we had moved back to Minnesota and uh, God just kept on showing us things. But mm-hmm. in 72, we moved to Florida. I accepted a pastor in a small, I mean, a very small church. And God began to speak to me when I was studying about this very subject of marriage and divorce. And I would write the verses down and put them up on a, on a shelf. And I, I thought, Lord, I don't need that. I'm happily married. Why, why, why do you keep showing me these things? And it kept on going. And finally, after a while, I looked up and I had a pile of papers almost an inch and a half thick. And uh, I said, Lord, I'm going to find out what's going on here. I don't know why you're doing this to me. And uh, by the way, I want to tell you that my mother was divorced and remarried to my father. And uh, so that was a real struggle. And so for eight years, I searched the scripture to find a different answer. And finally, God says, when are you going to quit listening to what people say and say what I say? Amen. And that's, that's how the books were born. Amen. Wow. Amen. That's amazing. It's an incredible, incredible story. And, uh, you know, we, we write our journals every, every jot and tittle that we can as far as uh, hearing these uh, divine activities and just really appreciate you sharing that with us. So well, I just want people to know that, first of all, I, I am committed to noting I've spoken in 39 different, I kid about it, I say 39 different abominations or denominations. <laughs> <laughs> in many cases, there are cases that Paul talked about, they try to draw followers after themselves. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's only one person, Paul, Paul himself said, I didn't say, I'm not a Baptist, I'm not a Methodist, I'm not a Presbyterian. He says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And a, a, the guru of evangelicalism uh, several months ago, or maybe a year ago now, did a new survey, and he came up with an astounding result. He said, I'm speaking conservatively. He said, conservatively today, no more than 6% of present-day church membership have had a genuine born-again experience. I believe it. I believe it. And the thing that shocked me when I went out into evangelism, the first people that came forward to get were the pastors, assistant pastors, minister of music, and youth directors. So the greatest I, mission field's in the church. I said, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're supposed to be leaders here. Mm. But uh, Jesus Christ, uh, and, you know, a lot of—let me just insert this. A lot of people go to John 3.16 to find out what it means to get saved. Mm. Tell them no, go to Luke 15, 25 through 35. That's what will tell you what it means to be saved. Jesus said, if any man comes to me, and it's conditional, you got to come to him. He said, you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. You hunger and thirst after righteousness, I'll fill you. If any man comes to me, <coughs> excuse me and does not hate his father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, mm. and sisters, and his own life also. And by the way, that word hate is a comparative word. It means when you compare your love for your parents, your wife, your husband, your children, in comparison to your love for Christ, it's got to be like love and hatred. In mm. other words, he said you got to confess Jesus Christ as Adonai, 
supreme Lord and master of your life. Mm-hmm. He said, if you don't do that, and this next word I keep telling people, what part of cannot do you not understand? Cannot inherit God's kingdom. And that, that says there can be no rivals in your life if you're truly a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. And secondly, he goes right on to the next verse, and whosoever be of you that is not willing to take up his cross every day and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Mm-hmm. Then he count the cost, count the cost, count the cost. And then at the end he says, and whosoever be of you that's not willing to forsake, deny, and disown everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> I had someone say to me one time, well, that doesn't mean they can't go to heaven. I said, really? Yeah, they said that just means you won't have the happiness, peace, and joy in, in your present life like you would if you made Jesus Lord of your life. I said, isn't that interesting? Because in Matthew 5, mm-hmm. Jesus but if you look at a woman's lust in your eye, heart, you commit adultery. And he said you'd be further ahead to pull out your eye or cut off your hand right. and go to, out into eternity without those members than to be, go out and be cast into the lowest parts of hell where the, the fire is not quenched. So mm-hmm. you're that if a person lives in adultery, they're just not going to have happiness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. But if they look at someone and just think in their own heart about it, <clears throat> they're going to go to hell. Yep. Absolutely. That isn't consistent with God's Word. Hard teaching today, but it's true. It's it's all true. And, of course, this makes me as popular as a ham sandwich in a Jewish synagogue in most churches today. (laughs) Well, you you know, so many churches uh, are are leaning so far in one direction where uh, there's too much socialism. I mean, everybody is, uh, you know, they're, they're riding the fence, let's say. And uh, they don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't. To me, it's they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. And and, uh, but when you live the truth, don't you live a happier life anyway? Oh, there's no comparison. Jesus said he is peace. He's our peace. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you don't love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. In fact, I've, I've spoken to a lot of Mennonite churches, and they they've held strongly down through the years to the, the position of, of the permanence of marriage. But recently, some of their seminary students coming out of the cemeteries or seminaries right. <laughs> uh, coming into the churches, and they're changing this teaching in some of those churches. And I said, you know, you criticize people for not staying in their marriages, but some of you now, when your children don't believe it because they've gone to the, the, the schools that you've got now and the professors are teaching them something differently, and they leave the church, many of you go with them. I said, you're only um, digging a foundation upon which the future generations will be destroyed. That's why Jesus said, if you come to me and don't hate your father, mother, wife, and children, he's got to come first. You have to say, if you want to go over there, you go. But we're going to stay here where they're preaching God's word on this subject. Mm-hmm. Said they're going to the other churches, and now many of the Mennonite churches are turning away from it. And I, I have many of their leaders that call me and are just heartbroken over this. But yeah, I, I was raised Mennonite, and uh, I can tell you, um, I'm no longer Mennonite. But uh, uh, there are no nowhere near what they used to be when I was growing up, and uh, it's it's just amazing to see how they've many of them, I would say, have abandoned uh, permanency of marriage and, and and other things as well. Yeah. So 
you wrote a book and basically there's several positions on marriage and you're taking the position that it's biblical to be permanently married, which means no remarriage after divorce. Or, well, you see, it goes beyond that somewhat because, first of all, today many people are saying marriage is a contract. It's not a contract. Scriptures over and over again say it is a covenant. And, you know, when you make a con- make out a contract, you try to protect your rights. You defend your own rights in a contract so nobody's going to rob you or do anything to you. But when you get into a covenant, you lay down your rights. Mm-hmm. That's the vast difference in a marriage. The people get married, and then they suddenly want to do their own thing. But they don't realize how serious it is uh, <clears throat> when you get into a, a covenant. You know, there's three different places in the Old Testament. Um better never to make a vow to God than to make it and later on say that it was a mistake. Mm. But if you do that, <clears throat> excuse me, if you do that, I am going to judge you. I am personally going to judge you. In fact, he says you're a fool if you do that. Don't ever make a vow to God. And, you know, the scripture is so full of covenants. Um, let me just go back to one that I, I, I've asked a question of pastors, and I've had them stare at me like a deer staring in a headlight. Hmm. Uh, I said, why did God destroy the earth with the flood? Well, there was a lot of wickedness on the earth, and it was corrupt. And I, I said, no, that's not why he destroyed the earth with the flood. And they said, no. I said, no, that isn't what the Scripture says. The Scripture the scripture has in Genesis 3.15 the fact that there was a covenant that God made with mankind. He said there's going to come in the days ahead the seed of a woman who's going to crush Satan's head and Satan's going to crush his heel. And I said then right after that in the days of Noah they were marrying and giving in marriage and their all their bloodlines were being corrupted. Satan was trying to get the world to corrupt all the bloodlines so that Jesus or uh, the gospel writer could not go all the way back through the bloodline, through Abraham, all the way back to Noah, and back to Adam and Eve, <clears throat> to prove that this was the covenant God made, the covenant person, mm. the of a woman. <clears throat> and it, because he had become so corrupt, God says, I'm going to destroy the whole world. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because he was still upright in all of his generations. Oh, okay. So God could start with the gospel writer and go through Joseph and back through David and through Mm -hmm. Abraham, all the way back to Adam and Eve, Mm. to prove that this was the seed, and that's why he started all over again with Noah. Mm. But that's the seriousness of the covenant. God was willing to destroy the whole world to keep his covenant. So marriage is a covenant. That's what the Bible says over and over again in Malachi. It says, uh, made one flesh by your covenant. Um, and in, in fact, in the Living Bible, it says, made by your marriage vows. In the Garden of Eden, some people say, well, I wasn't a Christian when that happened. I said, well, how many Christians were in the Garden of Eden? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's true. Uh, goes all the uh, way back know, to the it, Garden. It's it's yeah. it's God, It's a vow through God, not not... You don't have to be a Christian. You made a vow. That's uh, that's a very it's a very good point. And that's something that I was thinking of. Was well, gee, I wasn't a Christian then. I did, I wasn't a believer then. Well, yeah, yeah no, neither was Adam and Eve. You're right. How about John the Baptist. 
Yeah. He said it wasn't a Jew at all. He wasn't a believer at all. He said it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Right. Yeah. And he lost his head over it. Right. Literally. Very, very few people knew that. Uh, that that hit me a couple of years ago. I thought, wait a second, you would think John the Baptist would be going about preaching the gospel. But no, he was preaching the law against the marriage law and uh, lost his life over it for it. Um, very sensitive subject, for sure. Because there was no greater prophet than John the Baptist. Amen. So, Doctor Webb, why 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 is it that you think? Uh, I mean, many of our listeners uh, may be struggling with uh, with you know a younger generation, the daughters and sons. Uh, they think it's perfectly fine to, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, it's kind of like a throwaway thing. Uh, why do you think that has has become so prevalent in this world? Well, in my book, I give. Of the teaching of divorce and remarriage in, in the church. Uh, in the uh, first century, all the disciples believed marriage was for life. For 1,500 years, all the church fathers believed marriage was a covenant before God, and it, the terms of it were until death. In the 1500s, an illegitimate son of a Catholic priest who became a teacher. He didn't want to be a priest, but he became a teacher in the Catholic Church. He was, was a humanist. Hmm. And he, uh, a humanist means uh, their, their philosophy is the highest goal in life is for the happiness of man. Hmm. And he took Matthew uh, 15 and 5 and began to play with the words in there where it says, except it be for fornication. Oh, he says that. That means except to be for adultery. No, it didn't mean that at all. It doesn't say it over in Mark. It doesn't infer that at all in Mark. But he played with that and began to say, well, you can get divorced for other reasons. And uh, he was so unpopular to the church, the Roman church at that time, that when he died, they did they cast 13 curses over his grave and scattered his bones everywhere. Hmm. But he did make an impression on the reformers because they had already rebelled against Rome, and the reformers were listening to him because he was uh, translating the Bible for them into the common language. And uh, uh, so when he said this, Martin Luther, and I hate to say this, but Martin Luther later on, I've got the quote in my book, uh, he said the church has nothing to do with marriage and divorce. That's up to the civil judges. They determine who's going to be married and who's not going to be married. Wrong. That, Wrong. that cataclysmic. Wow. Dr. Webb, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. We're just going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back after the break, if that's okay. That's fine. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, folks, stay tuned. You're listening to Biblically Speaking on It's a New Day, 1180 WFYL. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this.
Morning, everybody. Welcome back to It's a New Day. You're listening to 1180 WFYL. Tim Liebig in the studio with Ken Souter because it is time for Biblically Speaking. If you're just joining us, uh, we are with a, uh, a brand new guest of the show, Dr. Joseph Webb, spending the entire time with us. And uh, Dr. Webb is an ordained minister with over 50 years of experience as an evangelist. I don't know how you can do that at 39 years old, Dr. Mm-hmm. Webb, but, uh, but he, he pulls it off. Uh, lots, of, lots of energy. <laughs> yeah, lots of energy. Uh, wonderful website, too, uh, Christian Principles Restored. It's cpr-ministries.com, cpr-ministries.com. And uh, I would encourage our listeners to uh, go to Dr. Webb's website. and uh, Website, I get it. I just <laughs> It just came to me. And... Uh, and, and check out uh, a little bit more. Author of, of two uh, wonderful books, and uh, Divorce and Remarriage and Death Do Us Part. Till Death, till till death part. Do Us Part. Yes. And that's how, it's, uh, that's how it's designed. That's how it's supposed to be. Yes. And, yes. and that's how we're supposed to do it. So, uh, Dr. Webb, welcome back. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And I want to uh, explain to the audience that uh, I realize that what I'm dumping on you right now is overwhelming because in most churches today, uh, if you go to the church, they'll give you the right hand of fellowship until you believe them the marriage is for until you tell them that you believe that marriage is for life, then they'll give you the left foot of fellowship. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's so true. I mean, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah, no, and 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 most of them will try to straddle the fence and will say, well, many good people are on all sides of the issue here, and you know they really don't take a position like you've done, and I really do appreciate that. Um, what I want to focus on, though, in the, in the last half hour here, I, I think it's just so critically important that one of the couple, two verses, actually, Matthew uh, 5, uh, 20, uh, 532 and Matthew 19, 9, I believe, where we find these so-called exception clause. Um, and I'll just just read that that for you. But I say unto you, and this is Matthew 532. That whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, and most modern Bibles translate it something different, like they'll say for, you know, harlotry or whatever. There's just anything but fornication, and fornication here has a very narrow, I believe, application. Uh, But anyway, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Uh, And then also in uh, in Matthew 19.9, it uh, says, and I say unto you, soever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, or shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, in the book of Matthew and uh, Mark and Luke, basically you have the same verse, but it doesn't have the exception clause in it. So there's no ambiguity whatsoever in, in the Mark and Luke, and maybe some here. But I wanted to ask you about how you address that, because that's where most people today will go and say, see, there's where I get my uh, excuse for divorce because my wife has uh, committed adultery. Well, let me uh, try to explain to them. And by the way, if if people really want to find out more about this, of course they can order the book. But on YouTube, they can also get my six DVD seminar that I've taught all over the world in about 48 states and six foreign countries. And it won't cost them anything. They can listen to it, and it's a complete presentation of the things I'm teaching right now. Uh, in both of those cases, you have to understand who was the audience they were speaking to. 
in Matthew, Matthew was written to the Jews. Mark was written to the Gentiles and the Romans. So in Matthew, they're using a different phrase, and they'd use it for a purpose, and I'll show you how it's true. When he was writing to the to the Jewish people, he said, the only time you can get a divorce is during the time of of uh, um, engagement, betrothal. You remember Joseph, when Mary came back uh, from visiting her her aunt, she came back and Joseph found out she was pregnant. And what was he going to do? Now, by the way, they were only betrothed. They weren't married. They weren't one flesh yet. He was going to quietly divorce her because he didn't want her to be stoned to death. Mm-hmm. Now, they weren't married, but he was going to have to, in that day, they had to go to the to the uh, Jewish temple and get a divorce from the betrothal. So that was perfectly understandable, and that this is the evidence of it, that Joseph, but once they were married, there was no longer a chance of a divorce. God says what God has glued together, no man may separate. So they try to take that unclear verse in Matthew 5 and 19 and twist it to mean if there's unfaithfulness on the part of a partner, that's grounds for divorce and remarriage. Well, let me just go back to, to uh, um, you ever have a brain freeze? <laughs> <laughs> Happens yes. all the time. When, you, when, when God was... Uh, talking about Israel in in uh, Jeremiah. And uh, he said, uh, uh, Israel, you're my wife, but uh, you've committed adulteries and whoredoms against me over and over and over again. So I'm giving you a bill of divorcement. Now, what did that mean? Was it over? He said, but if you'll only repent, I'll take you back because you're still my wife. Now, they got a divorce. It but, means the fellowship was separated, but they that did not mean they were no longer one because God had said, you're going to be my wife. I'm marrying you. Now, may I just suggest to you, God has is still waiting for his wife to come back to him. Hmm. As she has not come back to him yet, but we know she is going to come back to him in the final days when all the nations of the earth are going to come out against Israel. God, so if, if people think God doesn't understand what it means to be lonely because your partner walked off and left you, I've got news for you. I was, was in a Mennonite church one night when I got through. A bishop was standing there with his arms crossed looking very glum. I said, how are you, brother? Did you get anything out of the service? He said, it's all legalism, all bondage, all law. <laughs> I said, really? I said, what do you believe in? He said, I believe in grace. I said, oh, good. I said, Titus 2. Right. Titus 2 says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Is that the kind you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I said, okay. I said, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. Oh, now let's find out what the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us. To deny ungodliness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what is godliness? It's being unlike God. God's wife, he got a divorce from her, and he still looking for his wife to come back to him after thousands of years. But he said, if you don't do that, then you step over into ungodliness and worldly lust. 
And I think that's such a powerful illustration. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a verse I like to use a lot too. When when people talk about the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, that doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> that we get licensed to do whatever we want, which oh, is yes. many people believe that today, unfortunately. Yeah, but you know the greatest problem we're having today that churches are not teaching the permanence of a covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have in Joshua nine where there was a deceptive covenant. Joshua met the Gibeonites when he went into the land to conquer the land. And uh, they said, we came from a far-off country, and we've heard how great you a general you are, and we've come to make a pact with you. <clears throat> well, Joshua believed them, and he made a covenant with them. And as soon as he did, they stood up and uh, said, wait a minute, Joshua, these people are not from a far-off land. They're from the Gibeonites right over the hill here. And someone else said, kill them. And a prophet stood up and said, don't touch them. You just made a covenant with them. Yeah, but they lied to us. It make any difference. You made a covenant. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it's very important to follow that through because uh, in 2 Samuel 21.1, that then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. That's 340 years later after this covenant that Joshua made. 340 years later. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul, because he slew the Gibeonites. Mm-hmm. And when they said, Well, what can we do about it? He said, They said, Life for life. Give us the sons of Saul, and we'll kill them. And they did. And after that, Second Samuel 21, 14 says, And after that, God was entreated for the land. God is serious about covenant. And I can tell you a flippant covenant. Mm. Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau came in from the field. He was hungry. He said, "Give me something to eat." And he says, "Well, give me your birthright," because he knew he didn't he didn't uh, respect his birthright. He said, "You can have it." He says, "No, no, swear to me before this day before God." He says, "I swear to you, can have it." Well, later on, it said that for you know how that afterwards he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Uh, God forgave him for his flippancy and his stupidity. But he didn't change the covenant. It went from Abraham, Isaac, and Esau to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is today. Don't ever try to play games with God when it comes to a covenant. Mm-hmm. Because he is a God of covenant, and he means business. And when people come to the altar and say, I, such and such, give myself to you, and I love, honor, and cherish you regardless of your conduct. And, uh, and they say all these things. They say, well... Uh, that's going to last until something goes wrong and I don't love her anymore. No, that's until not what I, I said. <laughs> yeah, they're in a covenant mm-hmm. that cannot be broken. So, so when somebody stands before yeah, and, and and gets married, it's not the it's not the it's not the pastor that really marries them. It's not really this the you know the civil magistrate, let's say, that marries them. God joins them together somehow, right? What God has glued together. God introduced the marriage in the Garden of Eden, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, for mm-hmm. she was not a man, and she should be called woman. God immediately interrupted. He accepted Eve. Of course, he didn't have any other choice. But that's the only one around. But he, he accepted her, and God spoke up and said, for this cause, what happened? For what you just said, for this cause, Till a man leave his father and mother, and of course they didn't even know what a father and mother was yet, but they'll leave their father and mother and shall cleave to their partner until death. Mm-hmm. 
But then, so from the very beginning and all the way through the New Testament, there are so many verses that you can't even say all of them. <laughs> in in Luke sixteen eighteen, whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Pretty clear. Mark also. No exceptions. Yeah. yeah. No exceptions. And, and of course, in First Corinthians, it says, "Don't be deceived." Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves and mankind, thieves—all none of these shall inherit God's kingdom. But wow. you know, like you said, the problem today is in many churches. If you have a temperature of at least eighty degrees, uh, they'll accept you into the church. <laughs> years ago, at least my experience, I've been a Christian for now probably forty-five years or so, and. Uh, <laughs> I remember very young in my, you know, Christian, when I became a Christian in my 20s that, you know, I mean, at least they were talking about it back then. It was a concern, you know, what does the Bible say about marriage? Just saying, you know, well, today it, it's like, it's not even existing. It's just like, do whatever you want. You know, it's like, people, don't wring your hands over this. Yeah. Don't get too, too, too bogged down. I had somebody say, don't get, you know, this is something not worth getting bogged down over. Well, not only that, it's a, it's a clear sign that Jesus is coming back soon, mm. as it was in the days of Noah. What were they doing? Marrying and giving in marriage mm. uh, until the whole earth was corrupted. Um, I've had pastors say, we don't see people coming to the altar anymore. Most of them don't have altar calls anymore, but we don't see people coming to Christ like they used to, and the churches aren't full anymore. Uh, I said, well, uh, you know, how long did Noah preach? Five. 120 years. Oh, and how many souls did he save? Zero. <laughs> His own family. So Jesus, it tells us, when you see this starting to happen, get ready, because Jesus is coming soon. And as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, are we living in that day now? It's starting to become universal. People say, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to just keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't take your hand off the plow and look back. Your eyes on Jesus Christ and his word, and when you get the other end of the furrow, it'll be straight. Mm. Amen. 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 That's, I mean... No truer words have ever been spoken, and, uh, you know, but there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, well, yeah, but what about this, and what about that, and, you know, it, it's for better or worse. Until death. And until death mm -hmm. is is what we're talking about, and it's uh, it's very difficult, and probably one of the most difficult things to do that married people have to deal with uh, on on a regular basis is forgiveness. Uh, That's right. And and even if it's a, a forgiveness of thoughts or forgiveness of, of just a facial expression, uh, this is an individual that you have made a vow. What they're forgetting is that this is a vow. You That's made right. a vow. And you can look it up in the dictionary, the difference between a vow and a promise. A vow is something that's sacred, and it it is for life. And you make a vow to do something, you do it, you have to stick with it. Uh, not just until it gets uncomfortable. And, but, you know, it's, it, how about those people? The strongest marriages are those that they have gone through thick and thin. They have gone through the up times and the down times. And, and they've been able to forgive each other for even the smallest things. Some, some husbands and wives have had to forgive each other for some really big things. That's right. Most well, difficult you know, thing to do. The, the, the important thing I'm trying to get in the minds of people. First of all, it doesn't make any difference what your partner did. They will answer to God for what they do with what they said they would do. But you have no right to get even with them. 
you stand by your covenant. If your wife does not love you like she once did, let Jesus love you like he's always has. And continue to love them. You said you would lay down your life for that person. Now lay it down. Well, yes, but she doesn't respect me anymore. Well, then live in such a way that she has to. And if she still won't, problem. That's not your problem. And there are a lot of guys that are real jerks. They get married and start wanting to dominate and, and uh, push and shove and scream and belittle and everything. I said, just turn it all over to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just submit and say, I love Jesus with all my heart, and I'm going to love you regardless of your conduct. And, uh, and by the way, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Hmm. Well, and that it, it right the Bible does tell us that that if you don't forgive, then you're not going to be forgiven by the Father. What did Jesus say to the woman caught in, caught in adultery? He said, "I forgive you, and go and sin no more." And that that was the thing, right? And well, and he made a very good point with her that all of those that were ready to stone her and let the the first with no sin cast the first stone, and everybody dropped their stones. Nobody is without sin. Well, somebody and, told me one time that when that happened, a stone came flying up from the back, and Jesus looked up and said, Oh, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, pretty good. Oh, that's really can I, good. Can I use that at my Bible study <laughs> next week? Sure, I got it from somebody else. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Anything else that you want to cover here in the last 15 minutes or so that uh, is on your heart and you'd like to really get out to our, our listening audience here and, you know, concerning marriage and divorce is so prevalent today. It's probably about, I don't know what the statistics are, but I'm sure it's pretty high. Uh, you know, it seems like there's, everybody's involved with either divorce or remarriage or, or whatever. And maybe somebody's listening and saying, wait a second, I'm on a second marriage here. And, you know, you're saying that I'm committing adultery. What what am I to do with that? That's the trouble. They say you're saying. I said, no, I didn't say that. No, it's the Bible. I had a family in the meeting one night. You just called me an adulterer. I said, no, sir, I didn't call you an adulterer. Mm -hmm. Yes, you did. I said, when? You said that if I got remarried, I'm an adulterer. I said, no, I didn't say that. Here, read this verse to me. So he read Romans, I mean, uh, uh, 1618, Luke 1618. Whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Uh, I said, are you calling yourself an adulterer? Hmm. Said, I didn't say it. God said it. Yeah. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the, the delivery boy. God, <laughs> I, I When they reject me, they reject Christ. And when they reject Christ, they reject the Father. I'm trying to tell you what God's Word says. Do with it what you will. But heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. Mm, that's right. And I try to tell people that, first of all, sexual relations do not establish the marriage. You know, Mary and Joseph were buried for a long time until Jesus was born and he knew her not. That's right. But they were married. Right. But people say, well, because we had sex now, now we're one place. No, uh, if that were the case, then there'd be no such thing as fornicators. If I have the woman that was caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the one you're with right now is not your husband. So, uh, and they were having relationships. So sexual relations, David and Bathsheba, she was not, he later on married according to Old Testament conduct, but Samson and Delilah, uh, Judah, the father-in-law, and Tamar. Sexual relations do not indicate making people one flesh. 
Uh, and uh, marriages are not established by the church. The church only witnesses it. Mm-hmm. Marriages are not established by the state. The state only records it to have an orderly society. Um, well, what would you say to somebody, you know, a good friend comes to you and, and says they're all excited, they're 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 either they're getting married or their son or daughter's getting married and you know you, you explore a little bit and they find out that they're marrying somebody who's divorced oh i i have that i have counsel people from all over the world on that right now on the email and i had a man from new zealand call me at 2 30 in the morning a couple of months ago and he said, I, ho- I hope I didn't get you out of bed. I said, no, I had to get up to answer the phone anyway. What can I do? <laughs> but this is the very thing they're saying. We have been together for 20 years. We've been together for 18 years. We've been together for 30 years. I said, where, what did you say to your first partner? Just tell me what you said. Did you say, I'll stay with you for 20 years? I'll stay with you for five years? No. No, no. How long did you say you stay with me? Okay. If you didn't do that, you're a liar. Hmm. The Bible says liars shall not inherit God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm sorry. There's not time to play with situations like this anymore. We have to say what God says. And if the, and you know, the Word of God says that you go into a city and you declare the message, and they reject it. He didn't say lay down on the ground, a ball and squall and all over and say, "Whoa, I'm undone." Right. He said, "Shake the dust off your feet and walk out." And it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day within will for that city. You talk about authority? Mm. See, we're his representatives. We're his ambassadors, right? I mean, right. we're representing our king in this world. And, you know, we're going to be held accountable, I believe, how we do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, to me, uh, yeah, it's very clear that many, many passages are very there, There's a few that might be a little unclear, but uh, you've cleared them up for me. In Matthew, the foreign, you know, the exception clause and, and how that relates to really betrothal, which a lot of people don't understand that concept, but the Jews certainly would have understood that. It makes perfect sense. You know, yeah. once you understand that, that verse really comes together and uh, and, and, and makes a lot of sense. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I just I, think, think it's something I, we really when need. When I was sitting this and he finally said, because my mother was in that situation. He said, when are you going to quit listening to what people say and mm. listen to what I say? Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. It's, it's who are you going to listen to? Um, well, my question is, who are you representing? It's mm. a good question. Who right are now, you representing? Take an offer. Mm. There, well, there's, there, are, there are too many people that uh, worry and are concerned about what others think of them. It's the side society we live in, which, uh, and it's really unfortunate. I know some, very, uh, some people that are very close to me that, uh, that worry about what others think of them. And uh, I've gotten to the point in my, in my Christian walk and in my life, it's, I, don't, I really don't care what others think of me. I, I only care what God thinks of me. <laughs> he knows me inside and out. He knows what I've been through, and he knows where I am in my heart. The fear of man bringeth a snare, right? That's right. Right. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Beginning of wisdom. Yeah. So I'm getting wise in my old age. No, it's 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 a tough one because I've I've had that happen recently. Uh, uh, someone really excited about the fact that they're you know they're going their uh, I believe their daughter was going to be married and come to find out it's it's a divorced divorced yeah. man and yeah. um 
you know, what, it just like breaks my heart. It's like, I, I want to rejoice with you. I just can't. I just can't, you know, and, and I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a divisive person, but, but when it comes down to it between what God's word says or, you know, I would affirm a lie. Right. Affirm a lie. Right. And, and what, what drives me crazy? Well, it's very sad. I guess pastors that will not take a position on this today and just will go with whatever people want. Blame the seminaries. Uh, seminaries. seminaries. <laughs> the, uh, you know, I used to speak at, speak and sing at the Billy Graham Association, and I, I, I appreciate that ministry so much. But Billy did make a mistake one time. He, somebody Right after the Second World War, the people were coming back, and they'd gotten Dear John letters. And when they came back, they got married, and they didn't go to church anywhere because they were ashamed, and they knew that they didn't accept divorce and remarriage. But Billy Graham, somebody asked Billy Graham about it, and he said, you can't unscramble eggs. Mm, that's and a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Seminaries picked that up and ran with it, and uh, that's where, why, one of the reasons why we are where we are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like Mark Luther concerning divorce and remarriage, what he said. People, most people don't know that because they don't write that in the history books, but that was that was his quote. And I think it's so interesting you said so for, for how many thousands of years, or hundreds of years, I should say. 1,500 uh, years, nobody taught anything else. And this came along during the Protestant Reformation pretty much, right? Right. That's right. Erasmus is uh, the genius yeah. behind all that. I didn't know that. That 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 does that's really amazing. That's pretty amazing to me. But I did well, research. In the last seventy years, most denominations have done, done a complete reverse. By the way, the <coughs> revival, Azusa revival, right. in California, which was the birthplace of the Pentecostal movement. Right. There, I read their doctrinal position. They believed exactly what I'm teaching right now. I didn't know that when I started teaching it. In fact, when I started teaching this, I only knew two other men in the world that, uh, that were teaching this message. Today, thank God, we know of over 200 ministries, and I've got pastors calling me from other nations saying, God has called me to teach this to my people. Mm. Well, my prayer with this show is to expose uh, some of these things, educate some of our listeners to the historic fathers and what they believed. And, um, you know, my, my desire is to hopefully see some kind of a reformation take place in this country. And I believe it begins with each one of us mm-hmm. and nothing more basic than the family unit. Uh, well, I want to also to the folks that are listening. If you believe this message, pray for this ministry. Because right now we have an opportunity to have our books translated into 57 different languages. Whoa, nice. And a, a publishing company that would sell them and market them around the world. Mm. And uh, pray that God will open that door and allow us to do that. That's going to be a big step. But uh, pray for our ministry. By the way, we do uh, have a newsletter that we send out every quarter, either by email or by snail mail. And uh, it tells you what's happening in the ministry and what God is doing. So you can be made aware of it, and you can tell others, uh, like this lady that gave you my book. Mm-hmm. She's been a supporter of us for years, and uh, we thank the thank the Lord. I mean, this poor lady has gone through a lot, lots of hard. Mm-hmm. She has been belittled and ridiculed, mm-hmm. and uh, and she says, if I if I weren't so happy, I'd quit. And the thing about her is, is she has such a sweet spirit. I mean, she's always full of the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And 
it really comes through with her and knowing that, yeah, she is going through a lot of suffering. But yeah, just again, to reiterate your website, CPR uh, hyphen ministries.com. And you can see everything on there. Get in touch uh, with uh, the ministry and uh, pick up the book. Buy the book. Absolutely. Either book. I couldn't put it down. It was just, again, everything that I always believed, but I never saw anybody else actually write it out. So yeah. I was always relying on these uh, highfalutin, high seminary educated guys that they know better, but uh, no longer. I'm just going to read the Bible and, and just be led by the Spirit and te- know what it says. So, Amen. And that's what we do. So I think we've pretty much come yeah. up to the any, end of the program. Uh, any final thoughts? we got about a minute left. Uh, doctor, what do you want to share? I just want to tell people, once you know the truth, say the truth. It doesn't make any difference if the world hates you. Jesus says that's evidence that you're my disciple. Mm. But they hated every one of my true prophets. Mm. It doesn't make any difference. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you can't do that if you're not willing to do what it says there in Luke 15. He said you got to take up your cross. Every day and follow me. That means die to yourself. Hmm. Christ living his life through you. What difference does it make if people ridicule you? When you stand before him, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Oh, wow. What a blessing. What a blessing talking to you this evening or this morning. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on again. It seems like this is something that we want to continue the conversation with. What do you think, Tim? Absolutely. Really, really appreciate it. Dr. Webb, once again, uh, appreciate having you on the the program, folks. Dr. Joseph Webb, author of book Till Death Do Us Part. Uh, His website, once again, is CPR hyphen ministries.com uh, encourage you to go to the website check it out learn a little bit more about dr webb and uh, and indeed check out those books uh, dr webb we thank you for being here folks we uh, thank you for listening you are listening to 1180 wfyl biblically speaking on this wonderful wednesday tim liebig and ken souter signing off we'll see you the next time bye-bye